This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's my honor and privilege to be with you week to week. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for joining me again. And thank you for joining me in this journey for reformation, for modernization, a place where you'll find the conversation that so few Muslims are having, that so many of us need to have, that place where we can bridge that large, growing, unfortunately, growing divide between the Muslim world, the Islamist consciousness of the Islamic State, all Islamic states, and the West, the land of freedom, the land of liberty. This is your faithful American patriot, radio host, uh, podcast host that uh, brings to light those topics that so few will do. And I hope you're learning something week to week. If this is your first week, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. And a lot to talk to you about this week. Um, but the first of all, the most important thing to, to me, uh, not only as, as a Muslim, but as a man of faith, is that uh, for my fellow Muslims out there, it is our holiest day of the year uh, coming this Monday, September 12th, 2016. It is what we call Eid al-Adha, or the holiday of the sacrifice. And it commemorates, it's one of the two major holidays, we call it the the big holiday, Eid al-Kabir, versus the smaller holiday, which is at the end of Ramadan. Ramadan is the ninth month of our lunar calendar. This tenth day of the twelfth month of the Muslim lunar calendar signifies that day when we believe is the end, the final day after the pilgrimage to Mecca, that ten-day ritual that takes place in Mecca and Medina and two to three million Muslims have descended upon Saudi Arabia as do every year to complete that once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage and I have yet to do mine. I I have been to Saudi Arabia um, on a trip in which I was uh, honored to go visit the Saudi uh, government uh, as part of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, in which we have, you can take a look at the reports that we provided when I was on the commission from 2012 to 2016, and we monitored them for their egregious violations and called them out for their violations of religious freedom and the rights of expression and practice. But when I was there, I went a day early and completed the Umrah, Umrah is a ritualistic. Um, Umrah is a ritualistic visit to 
Mecca, in which you visit a Muslim visits the Grand Mosque and participates in some circumambulation within the mosque. And in that day, completes a very shortened version of the pilgrimage. So it doesn't count as a pilgrimage, but it's certainly quite a spiritual experience. And I was struck by how one of the greatest paradoxes of the world is the spirituality that is within that mosque, the depth of humanity, the depth of tolerance with men and women standing next to each other, the lack of materialism, and the pure spirituality that I experienced. And yet outside that mosque is one of the most egregious, heinous, evil governments on the planet that in the name of the religion of Islam perpetrates a oppression against minorities, a prevention of any expression of freedom even within the faith of Islam, let alone for minorities, let alone for any Christians. No ma- no churches can be built, no Bibles can be brought in, no translations of the Quran other than the one sanctioned Wahhabi militant translation of the government of Saudi Arabia. So here you have this unbelievable dichotomy and just those doors through which you walk through to go into that mosque is most representative of that chasm that I mentioned that lies between the land of Islam and the land of freedom and liberty. And unfortunately, the area inside the mosque, which was truly spiritual and something that I appreciated deeply as a faithful Muslim, you could not find anywhere outside that mosque other than probably in people's homes. But the veneer of the so-called protectors, as they call themselves, the custodians of the holy mosque, is but a theocratic mindset, a militancy that brews the cauldron of radical Islam, of Wahhabi Islam that has an interpretation that because of the billions of Saudi money has gone around the world and created groups like ISIS, ISIS's founding fathers, founders of the Saudi regime and the Wahhabi thought leaders. But this week, at the declaration of the day of the holiday that we wait every month because we use the lunar calendar, unfortunately, we still use archaic methods to determine the lunar days, not really, thanks to the Saudis, uh, are not able to use science, uh, as the Jewish community does, to lay out its lunar calendar in unity across the world, but rather no. Muslims must wait to see the moon on the first day, and we find out that, and I, and I have to tell you, thank God, the, the, the holiday this year was September 12, 2016, and not September 11, 2016, this 15th anniversary of 9-11. And on this holiday, Muslims gather. We believe that the Grand Mosque was the place that Islam began, in which Muslims believe that the Prophet Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, Ishmael, and Ishmael 
right before his sacrifice was saved by God, in which it proved Abraham's belief in God's oneness and his tawhid, as we call it in Arabic, and the singular nature of God. And that belief is something that's celebrated. I think what's amazing about this holiday is that contrary to conventional wisdom, the most significant holiday in Islam is not about the Prophet Muhammad, who we believe transmitted the message of the Qur'an, the Arabic Qur'an, or the Word of God, into the script of the Qur'an, but rather the greatest holiday of the Islamic calendar is about Abraham's belief as the first, as the father of the prophets in God, the God of Abraham. And on this day, Muslims gather, we'll gather on Monday with our families in local mosques to hear what should be a spiritual sermon, again, not political, but a spiritual one, in which we come together and thank God for the blessings of the year as the 12th month and the first 10 days of that pilgrimage came to an end. And then it's time for celebration. It's our biggest holiday. I've talked to you here in this podcast about how a couple years ago at the sermon at our local mosque here in Arizona, I all of a sudden found myself to be a subject of that as part of the Islamophobia or bigoted machine. It hasn't repeated itself again because I exposed and told the world through an editorial, through transcribe transcription of that sermon, what was done inside my mosque to those reformers who choose to ask the tough questions, who choose to challenge our leaders, which is what more Muslims should do. So my journey hasn't changed. We continue to do this week to week, day to day, through this podcast, through writings, through beliefs in institution building, as we do at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And you know, it makes you think, as the end of the pilgrimage with two million Muslims in Saudi Arabia, what used to be the intention of this gathering? True Reformation, I think, if you look back, the gathering used to be to, at the time, there was no telephones, no ways for mass communicating. It was a way for the Muslim community who came together not only to pray, worship, and come together, but to communicate and learn in the various different forms of Islam that had, and practices that had grown in their time apart as they came together. And yet now, thanks to theocrats, theocracies, autocracies like Saudi Arabia, yes, the Hajj has been preserved as a faithful personal practice, but certainly from a communal perspective for reform and diverse voices, it is not a time in which we're hearing anything nationally, internationally, publicly about diverse voices being highlighted, about the Indonesians teaching the Saudis how to maybe be more moderate or the, or the uh, Moroccans. No, it's dominated by the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is one major mafia of Islamist regimes. And there are no even hints at reform. The Arab awakening didn't 
spread further for freedom and liberty during the Hajj. And I'm not saying that it necessarily needs to be political, but when you look at control of theological ideas, I'm talking about the ability for gatherings of Muslims, especially the most important one globally, that is happening this weekend and is finishing this weekend that happens once a year, every year, where Muslims of all stripes and races and ethnicities and ideas come together. Not one peep comes out of the, the gathering of a diverse discussion conglomeration of ideas that sprouts millions of ideas out of those three million that gathered. No, it's just they come and go. They completed their rite of passage, their pilgrimage, but that's it. That has to change. That's not how religions modernize the way it's being done now. And that cancer is called Saudi Arabia. So, yes, I think that's a bit outside of the box, but the Hajj should be a time of learning, of growth, of community growth, of nat- of global growth, and a time to extinguish those cancers like ISIS and other radical elements. Speaking of radical elements, the Secretary of Homeland Insecurity, Jay Johnson, spoke to ISNA this week, and I'm just incensed by it. He should really be the Secretary of Homeland Insecurity and the Secretary of the Bigotry of Low Expectations. And more on this when we come back. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This with the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network, your faithful podcast host, your American patriot that takes no breaks from Islamic reform. And it's great to be with you. To all of my Muslim brothers and sisters, I wish you a blessed Eid al-Adha with your family, with your local communities. And I hope you have a blessed holiday this September 12th, 2016. And again, not that anything would have happened, but thank God that the anniversary did not happen to just land on September 11th. And our holidays move up 10 days every year because the lunar calendar that Muslims use is 355 days, not 365 like the Gregorian one. So the 12 months always end 10 days earlier and the holidays keep moving up the Gregorian calendar last year. It was around September 22nd, September 23rd. This year it was September 12th. Again, a blessed Ramadan and a blessed Eid al-Adha. Now this 12th month, 10th day of the 12th month of the lunar calendar. The two major, the second, the biggest holiday 
of the two major holidays of the Islamic calendar. This week, there's more to talk about than that. I was struck, and I, I felt I had to share with you my feelings about our Secretary of Homeland Insecurity, who decided to make not only a presence, but to give a major address to the Islamic Society of North America. They consider themselves the largest Muslim organization in the country. They certainly have the largest Muslim conventions in the country, with 40,000, 50,000 Muslims gathering in Indianapolis and Chicago. This year they gathered in Chicago. They've gathered in Columbus, Dallas, elsewhere, depending on where they choose to have their convention. And this year they gathered in Chicago, and Secretary Jay Johnson gave an address. And I'd like to walk you through some of the address he gave, but I have to tell you at first, first blush, as an American Muslim, you know, it's fascinating to look at groups like the Council on American Islamic Relations, or as I call them, the Council for American Islamist Radicalization, many of whom populated this convention, Nihad Awad, the chief Hamas operative of uh, CARE here in America, uh, spoke at this convention and made it clear, uh, as he always does, that Muslims are the victims. Doesn't talk about counter-radicalization, doesn't talk about Islamism, doesn't name Hamas, says ISIS is not Islamic, is not Islam, and really doesn't even look at the root problems, neither does ISNA. And these groups were all named as unindicted co-conspirators by Jay Johnson's Homeland Security. Now, he wasn't the head at the time, but the Department of Homeland Security, under at the time Attorney General Gonzalez and his predecessor, had named the Islamic side of North America, North American Islamic Trust, and a whole slew of Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups as unindicted co-conspirators. And why were they named that? In the trial that ended up in the conviction of six board members for funneling money to the terror group Hamas. And to this day, CARE is considered persona non grata per a letter to Senator Kyle from an assistant director at the FBI that they are considered persona non grata and cannot and should not communicate, be able to communicate officially with the FBI publicly. Some chapters have even been counseled for doing so when they were told not to. Some FBI um, SACs, I should say, special agents in charge, have been counseled because of CARE's inability to condemn Hamas and because of their attitude towards Hamas. So the unindicted co-conspirator nature is important because it has to do with the fact that in a trial that convicted groups for their support of funneling money to Hamas there were groups that may not have directly given money, but that facilitated the underbelly of the communication arm nationally of these organizations. And that these organizations then provided the infrastructure of communication that the Federal Bureau of Investigator, Federal Bureau of Investigation, 
outlined in their trial and in their testimony as being essential to understanding the network of mosques and organizations and the mothership of those mosques nationally is the Islamic side of North America and the entity North American Islamic Trust that I believe holds lease and title to 30 to 40% of the mosques in America. Now, our Muslim reform movement has sent every mosque in America that we could find that includes over 90-some percent of the mosques in the Islamic side of North America and the North American Islamic Trust, our declaration. And we have followed it with phone calls. We have sent letters and resent them when they came back to different addresses or sometimes the same address. And even had calls back telling us, don't ever send them back. A mosque from South Carolina said, do not send us this declaration back or we will come and tell you personally. Sounded like a threat to us, but anyway, we just wanted a response from these mosques to tell us where do they stand on our Muslim Reform Movement declaration. Go see that declaration at muslimreformmovement.org, muslimreformmovement.org. And you will see two-page simple declaration that said that, you know, we as Muslims reject the caliphate, we reject violent jihad, we call for the equality of men and women, we reject blasphemy laws and apostasy laws, we call for the equal rights of all, blind to sexual identity, blind to ideas, and the fact that ideas do not have rights human beings do. And we divided this into free speech issues, secular governance issues, and human rights. And yet we've heard nothing from the vast majority of mosques. And these are the mosques that are at the Islamic Society of North America and the mosques that Jay Johnson so chose to speak at. And I have to tell you, my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, opens in the beginning. Somewhere on page 70, I, I talk about my experience with Isna. And you know, before I get to that, I have to tell you, it is just, it, it is beyond incredulous that the head of Homeland Security, tasked with keeping our country safe, chooses to go to the Islamic Society of North America to give a key address. And that address, by the way, was filled with just bromides and racialization of a, of a faith, which is an idea, not a race. It's an idea in which he portrayed the Muslims he was speaking to as the victims rather than the folks that are distributing books like The Reliance of the Traveler, that are distributing ideas that constantly radicalize Muslims. If you look at the Islamic Society of Boston and its ideas and connections to Al-Qardawi, a radical sheikh out of the Muslim Brotherhood international organization based out of now Qatar, originally based out of Egypt. And Qardawi's connection to the Islamic Society of North America as his protege, Tad Ramadan, who was based out of Europe and originally was banned from coming to the United States and then thanks or no thanks to the Obama administration, was then had the ban lifted and he came here. And again, these are fonts leaders of the, of the Islamist movement globally, and that's what ISNA is. So, fine, you know, it should be recognized for what it is. 
Jay Johnson wants to speak at it, but please, you know, don't recognize them as simply plain old Muslims. These are Muslims who are theocrats that run a movement that is simpatico to the theocratic movement of political Islam globally. So if we were in the Cold War, this would be equivalent to speaking to a large national meeting of the National Communist Party of America. Right now we're fighting radical Islam. And since he defines radical Islam as terrorism, he's decided to say, well, these people are not advocating for terrorism. But, you know, listen, it's not just about terrorism. The organization that he spoke to, Valerie Jarrett also spoke to in 2009. President Obama has videotaped and sent in some speeches to. So the administration every year, despite every complaint of national security organizations, continues to speak at this radical organization's meetings. And yet, what have what has been said there? Back in 2009, the same meeting that Valerie Jarrett spoke at, there was a session called Meet the Author Session with Imam Morith Din Umar, former head of the New York State Prison Chaplain. And this guy, this radical jihadist, as outed by the Investigative Project on Terrorism by Steve Emerson, has said that he's argued in the past that key Obama aides are Israeli, proving Jews have control of the world. Umar has argued, Imam Dean Umar has argued that he maligns the motives of Jews active in the civil rights movement. He portrayed the Holocaust as punishment for Jews for being serially disobedient to Allah. And lastly, he's insinuated that Hurricane Katrina was a result of tolerance for homosexuality. And this is the guy who Isna had. And when they were called on it, they sort of said he was an outlier and not representative. And yet, on the same panel was... A Kathy Sultan, who had a book called Tragedy in South Lebanon, and this book called The War of 2006 as the Tragedy of the Repeated Incursions and Wars in South Lebanon, the Complexities of the Lebanese Politics. She made no mention of Iranian funding, as Emerson points out, for Hezbollah or Syrian meddling in the Lebanese politics and basically was quite sympathetic to Hezbollah, never calling them a terrorist organization. And now, as we see in the Syrian war, that Hezbollah is working hand-in-hand hand with the Assad genocidal regime and with the Iranian Khomeinist, obviously, their primary benefactors and creators. So it goes on and on. The Hamas sympathizers at these ISNA meetings year after year, and I, they, I would clearly believe there are sessions that have been hate-filled uh, with hate speech against Jews, against Israel, against America. And, you know, let me, when we come back, I want to tell you about an anecdote I had at the one and only meeting of the Islamic Society of America that I went to in 1995. This is Zudi Jasser with Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. 
on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This, your faithful American Muslim podcast host who tries to breach that chasm between political Islam, the land of theocracy, of caliphism, and the land of freedom here in America and in the West. Today we're talking about Jay Johnson's little friendly visit to the Islamic Society of North America. And as Paul Spurry outlines in Counter Jihad, he says, after traveling to Chicago as a featured speaker at ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America Convention, Johnson took the stage and boasted, quote, I am the highest ranking U.S. government official and the first sitting cabinet officer to ever speak in person before this convention, unquote. And he was preceded a couple years, well, actually many years ago, by Valerie Jarrett and then a few video presentations, I believe, from President Obama. But, uh, you know, there's a reason, a rational reason why clear-thinking Homeland Security heads or the directors of the FBI or others would not come. And, well, it's because they are one of the front groups for the Muslim Brotherhood movement. They may not be card-carrying Muslim Brotherhood, but they certainly are Islamists, those who believe in the political movement of establishing Islamic states. Not terrorists like ISIS, but certainly that underbelly of that same ideology. They may disagree with the means and the extremism of ISIS, but they certainly don't disagree with the concept of an Islamic state and a Sharia-inspired state in which the laws, the tools of the legal system of the state are Islamic. So, yeah, it's not a surprise that it's been rare for an attorney general to go there or a uh, secretary of Homeland Security because of their unindicted co-conspirator status and because of the conflicts of interest they have. Well, what do you expect, though, when our Homeland Security calls it countering violent extremism? Yep, these guys are going to help them counter violent extremism because they know exactly when, when, when their ideas go awry how they become extremist. And they've certainly had a number of panels at these conferences which have been anti-Semitic, misogynist, anti-American, and others. Now, they've been cleaning up their act as time goes and been less and less obvious, but for those of us who work in reform, one of the primary obstacles is clearly the Islamic Society in North America. Why is that? First of all, just from the numbers perspective, Pew Poll, I'm sorry, Gallup has done a study that showed that just 4% of American Muslims even identify with ISNA. So that leaves 96%. Same thing with their 
colleagues attached at the HIP, the Council for American Islamist Radicalization, and other organizations that are part of the Islamic Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups in America. Now, the reason the majority of Muslims have not identified with these groups is because of their theocratic mentality, their intolerant, illiberal interpretations of Islam and of the Quran and the literature they distribute at these conventions, which still includes legal texts like the Reliance of the Traveler, organizations like Sound Vision, which I exposed at a previous podcast that works directly and closely with the Saudi Wahhabi jurists in Mecca and elsewhere to distribute Wahhabi literature. And we've seen Imam Mujahid articulate a love and respect for the Saudi Wahhabi juristic opinion on jihad and others, claiming that this is moderate and exemplary. So yes, our Secretary of Homeland Security, insecurity, has a bigotry of low expectations in which he pushes down the throat of American Muslims this organization as being the lead organization just because they can fill a hall of 50,000 Muslims means that the other 3 million Muslims must therefore toe the line of the Islamic Society of North America. That's nonsense. We, the rest of the Muslim community, may not be as organized we may not be able to generate conventions in the thousands, let alone tens of thousands that ISNA does. But there's a lot bigger hurdles to cross. Number one, we don't have the global funding that these guys do to generate their campaigns. Number two, secular non-identity Muslims who are Americans that are active in our political and professional lives, but do not believe in collectivization as Muslims, and certainly not as Islamists, are going to be much harder to collectivize under the banner of Islam and are going to reject identification with Islamic groups. So give me a break when the Islamists talk about them representing Muslims because they fill up convention halls. That's the way their movement rocks, which is they identify with the identity movement, the separatist movement of Islamism, and Secretary Johnson fed into that. If you listen to his speech and his words, his remarks, he again reiterated his pablum, which I criticized that my testimony to Senator Cruz's subcommittee in the Senate. He said, you've heard us say that the self-proclaimed Islamic state is neither Islam nor a state, that it is a group of terrorists attempting to hijack your religion. So now he went to Isna to be a mufti. Sheikh Johnson believes that ISIS, which I certainly believe they're not my Islam, but it's amazing for him to say they're not Islam. I'd love to have him debate, to see a debate between Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, and the head jurist in Mecca, the friend of Sound Vision in Isna, the those who proclaim that anyone who speaks against the Saudi government is like speaking against Islam, those who allow apostates to be flogged by thousands and hundreds of prisoners of conscience who can't blaspheme and speak against the government because it's like speaking against Islam. So he went on, Johnson did, 
at Isna and said, After I'm gone as secretary, I hope you will always regard us as your Department of Homeland Security, aligned in interest with you for peace, the safety of your family, and the protection of your homeland. I hope you'll always regard our new Office for Community Partnerships as your partner. Tonight and the last and biggest opportunity I will have as your secretary to address an audience of American Muslims, I want to take this conversation to a new level. A leader of this organization reminded me that we spend too much time telling you what not to become rather than what you can become. Now, those words are inspiring. Yes, I've said the same thing, haven't I? We've talked about not being against terrorism, but what are we for? We're for being American, that we as Muslims should want to die for America and that we don't want to die for the Islamic State. But that's not what Secretary Johnson is talking about. He's talking about, and then he goes on to compare the plight of Muslims to the plight of the African-American community. And he talked about the plight of his father, named Charles Johnson, who lived in the segregated South and was a victim of an he was an eman the son of an emancipated slave, and he goes on to say how he fought heroically in World War One, but ultimately struggled with the racism of the South. And that's certainly, certainly a narrative that's important. But is that really the plight of American Muslims today? I mean this transference of the plight of racial segregation and bigotry that the African-American community felt with now the plight of American Muslims who are 3 million out of 1.6 billion that have been giving the blessings of America and are squandering that by crying wolf so many times that victimization when in fact they are ignoring the very plight the calling of the day, which is to defeat political Islam, to bring our faith from the 13th century, where it is in most countries in which Muslims are a majority, to defeat the Sharia state, to defeat the Islamic state. But no, Secretary Johnson doesn't talk about the challenge, the responsibility of being an American Muslim. No, he talks about Muslims being a victim because that's what fits his narrative. And Islam to him is a race. Being Muslim is a skin color. It's not an idea. And if you look at our Muslim reform movement, it is it, it prominently believes that ideas do not have rights. Human beings do. So he went to a homogenous Islamic society in North America meeting in which women who do not wear the hijab, as you'll see in some brave souls that were there that were complaining about the liberals being ignored at this Isna meeting, that if you're a woman and don't wear a hijab, you're marginalized. That if you're anyone and don't have Salafi, more conservative fundamentalist opinions, you're marginalized. That all the panels are full of just men. All the panels are full of just Wahhabi, theological, more Salafi interpretations rather than modern reformist and more liberal interpretations. There's no debate happening, like I mentioned, should be happening even at the Hajj. And here you have in a meeting of the most liberal democratic country in the world, classically liberal, Muslims meet in a homogenized, non-debate arena 
and get told by the Secretary of Homeland Security nothing about our responsibility to this country, but that we are the ones who are being mistaken by a majority that are a bunch of bigots. That's the message that Secretary Johnson brought. Shame on him. Shame on his bigotry of low expectations. Shame on the Obama administration for for shoveling this stuff down the Muslim community's throat that unfortunately they fail to realize that American Muslims are not identified just by ISNA. Sure, they deserve a voice. Sure, they deserve a seat at the table. But 96% of Muslims reject them or are not part of their ideas and we need to have diverse representation to stop having the racialization of our faith of Islam. That's the only way reform is going to happen. It's not going to happen with President Obama. I fear that it's not going to happen in the next administration. Who knows? But certainly Hillary Clinton has not demonstrated an affinity for reformists. And Mr. Trump may represent that. And he has mentioned the term reform, but I'm concerned regarding his affinity for Putin and other establishment dictators in the world. These reforms cannot happen under dictatorship. They have to happen under free liberal societies. And only through the liberalization of those countries will the voices of reform must be heard, but it has to start in America. When we come back, I promise you, I'm going to tell you about my story with Islamic Society in North America. This is Zudi Jastron, Reform This, on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. I'm standing on the street and there's cops everywhere, groups of them. I look up and the closest officer was was a gentleman who happened to be black and his name badge said last name was Thompson. And I said, hey, I think we're cousins. I don't have Thompson too. And he goes, we might be. And one of the other officers goes, hey, there's another Thompson. And so like three or four officers down, one of the ones from Ohio turns and his badge says Thompson as well. The morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to our last segment this week on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Your faithful American Muslim patriot, unafraid to take on the largest Muslim organizations in the country who are Islamists that are rejectors of reform and expose their underbelly of while they might be against terrorism, their underbelly of facilitation of theocracy of Islamism. And as we learned this week, Secretary Jay Johnson decided to give a major address to them and on behalf of the rest of us Muslims who reject what ISNA stands for, tell us that they seem to represent us, which they do not. He didn't even acknowledge that. Look at his words. Look at his speech. See if he even acknowledged that there are Muslims that have debates internally. No, it was all about the racialization. And it's not just the organization itself. Yasser Qadi, an imam that I've spoken to you about before, who's called the Holocaust false propaganda and described Jews as crooked nose from just a few years ago. 
He was on that same panel with Jay Johnson. Muzam al-Siddiqui, the head, one of the former longtime heads of the Islamic Society of North America, praised suicide bombers in 1995 and said those who die in the part of justice are alive and their place is with the Lord and they receive the highest position because this is the highest honor. Unquote. As Paul Sperry reminds us in his piece in counterjihad.com. During a 2000 rally outside the White House, Siddiqui opened, openly threatened the U.S. with violence if it continued to support Israel. America has to learn if you remain on the side of injustice, the wrath of God will come. Please, all Americans, do you remember that? He said. Siddiqui continued, if you continue to do injustice and tolerate injustice, the wrath of God will come. Tarek Ramadan continues to speak. Jamal Bedoui. The founding father of the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood, as exposed by FBI documents, also an Islamic Society of Boston board member, former board member, founding board member. And Tarek Ramadan's history is notorious of his not only familial descendancy from the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, but his ideas as outlined by Carolyn Forrest and Brother Tarek of his duplicity of ideas where he claims to be liberal and yet has rejected real feminism, real liberalism in Europe. I have to share with you, though, before we leave today, I have to share with you my experience with Islamic Society of North America. I did not, I do not say these things from afar. In 19, and I talk about this in my book, in 1995, as a naval officer, Myself and the chief of endocrinology at Bethesda Naval Hospital decided to present a paper at the Islamic Medical Association. And at that association, we presented a paper on hormone regulation, and it went fine. Now, the Islamic Medical Association, the IMA, usually meets. I don't know if they're still doing it or not, but at the time, they still met before, right before ISNA, so that people would go two days to the IMA and then continue on with the convention. So we were there, finished on a Friday, had Saturday and Sunday to attend ISNA. We then attend the opening ceremonies of ISNA. At the time, now there are 50,000, 60,000. At the time, I believe there were about 20,000 people there. And again, the largest speeches were in the opening. And one of the longtime ISNA surrogates, CARE board members, Again, CARES Council on American or for American Islamist Radicalization. Longtime CARE members, Siraj Wahaj was providing the keynote to the opening of ISNA. I sat listening. It was my first ISNA convention. I had heard about it, and many people had told me I should attend simply because, for social reasons, also for educational, theological reasons, they have a lot of interesting panels, I was told. So I was in uniform, had presented my paper, and when you're on leave, usually you stay in uniform unless there's a reason not to be. Siraj Wahaj then goes on and starts giving this very flamboyant, magnetic lecture and speech in which he started to talk about responsibilities of American Muslims in lands of freedom. And my ears were perked. But then he started to talk about the evil and the decadence coming from Washington and that the president, because of his immorality, because of his 
support for abortion clearly had deviated from the Quran, had deviated from God's word. And he said the reason was not because of Bill Clinton himself, but it was because this society was not guided by the word of God as it should be, that the Constitution was simply a paper made by men, but rather countries that would have a Constitution. And he picked up the Quran and waved it and said, the only real countries are the countries, the only chance for a country is if it had a Constitution. And we as Muslims should strive to have this book become the Constitution of the United States. And I was listening to this from Siraj Wahaj, and I was floored. I, I seriously got lightheaded. I was 25, uh, 27 years old at the time, and just floored at the fact that I was attending a meeting in which I was listening to something that was frankly seditious. So he finished his excoriation. And whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, it's one thing to disagree on the position of the president and even our Supreme Court. But it's another to say that it is our role to transplant the U.S. Constitution, which we are sworn to uphold and defend as our citizenship oath and the oath that I took as a naval officer, again, on top of my citizenship oath, it is another to listen and to say that we should supplant that. So I heard that. He then finished his absurd speech. And then they had 20, 30 minutes later opportunity for people to make announcements. So I went to the one of the microphones in the aisle and I said, my name is Lieutenant Zudi Jasser. I'm here on leave with the U.S. Navy. I had attended the Islamic Medical Association and I had the misfortune of deciding to attend your opening meetings. And it was misfortune because your speaker is free to disagree with the politics of our president, as I certainly do, but he is our commander-in-chief and our oath as citizens is to defend and protect the U.S. Constitution. And what he said that he wanted to do with that is sedition. I recommend anyone employed or sworn to work for the U.S. government to leave this meeting immediately, as I have, and I am publicly telling you this on the microphone, that I disavow any membership in the Islamic Society in North America. And my captain, my boss, and I left. I had to do that. I felt that that was my obligation to say it publicly. A few people came up to me and thanked me. The amazing thing to me was not only that that happened, but the silence of the members that were present there. I also remember attending some of the booths that they had in the bazaar there, and one of them was the Somali Relief Fund, and I had just returned from Somalia having served in Operation Restore Hope. And that Somali Relief Fund booth saw me in uniform, and they had pictures of Somali youth suffering. And those pictures then had words under it in which it said that the American troops were there to imperialize the Horn of Africa, that we there, we were there because of its strategic importance. I looked at that and was horrified. I told them, 
do you realize that we just came back for I just came back from there six months earlier the ship that I joined had returned from Somalia and that we were there to take food to the population there as our marines went ashore to do that and we were not there to imperialize Somalia as your propaganda of nonsense says this is what the Islamic Society of North America stands for it's anti-American and it might be cleaning up some of its fringes, but the core of it is a rotten cancer of Islamist ideology that is incompatible with American freedom and our U.S. Constitution. I have said this story not only in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, but I have recounted it to some of the leadership at ISNA. And there's been no disavowal. There's been no programs from them in their millions spent nationally around to counter the Islamic State mentality to say that they will defend the U.S. Constitution. No programs to defend American ideals of freedom and liberty. To tell our kids that the ideal is to want to die for America and never to want to die for any Islamic State or any jihad. To disavow violent jihad. To sign our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration. That would be the way to say that what I'm saying to you today is false. For them to own up to the ideas that I'm talking to you about and say that, well, we've evolved. We have now realized the error of our ways and we need to reform. We will rid our convention of the Islamists like Imam Umar, like the pro-Hezbollah, the pro-Hamas, the anti-Semitism. We will cleanse it of it and become pro-American. But no, these are not Americans that happen to be Muslim. These are Muslims who demand to be American, and they are a Salafi jihadi insurgency. And they may not openly admit to it, but the bottom line is, is they see Western secular liberal democracy as a threat to Islamic state identity. They are an identity movement, and the Secretary Johnsons of the world feed into that and have a symbiotic agreement with what they stand for. And I, as an American, am dedicated to reforming the ideas reforming against the ideas, and hopefully, I pray, creating a movement that will ultimately counter theirs and drown theirs out and point out to America and the world that they are only 4% of the American idea. And globally, yes, Islamist movements are much larger, but they are still a minority, I believe. But they're just much more organized than the rest of us, so they win elections, they dominate our community. We have a lot of work to do, but I think the story that I told you about my personal experience with ISNA speaks volumes that this is not just anti-Muslim as CARE claims that our work is. It's actually pro-Muslim, pro-Islam, pro-reform. It is tough love to counter Islamism and counter the Islamist hate groups that I believe are hate groups that do not love American freedom and secular liberalism but hate it and instead believe in theocracy. So shame on you, Jay Johnson, for believing that these are the Muslims who represent us. Shame on you for not reaching out to reformers, you and your boss, uh, President Obama. Shame on you for ignoring the need for reform and not taking sides with reformers, or at least giving us a seat at the table. But as you said in your speech, you're on your way out. 
And that's the only good thing that happens with the movement of time is that eventually people go to different jobs. Hopefully, Americans will begin to realize that we are a dynamic, diverse community and will begin to share the ideas of reform and diversity. This is Zudi Jasser, your faithful podcast host. Thank you for joining me again this week on Reform This. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.